The Wide Right Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Miami Hurricanes ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get in the game. You could use it for Miami's home finale against Louisville in a couple weeks. You get a chance to see your seats from panoramic views, every section. Uh, You can also buy tickets for the Heat. They're off to a great start. Whatever you want to do, just make sure you use the GameTime app. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Lamar. Winning lottery numbers coming up. I'm going to switch it up for y'all a little bit. Get crunk. You know why? Huh? It's hurricane season. The new Miami. The new Miami. Williams going to pass. That is receiver. Pass call. K.J. Osborne. It's a cage thing. Pickett escapes. And incomplete. Miami takes over on downs. They can beat anybody left in the schedule. They have that kind of talent. They have that kind of ability. And in a game that Manny Diaz said, the urgency level was high. Our backs are against the wall. They came out. They responded and got a much-needed road victory here today. The Miami Hurricanes are back, baby. They are back to 500, 4-4 four four on the season, following Saturday's 16-12 comfort-behind victory over the Pittsburgh Panthers. You just heard the call. K.J. Osborne's uh, 32-yard catch from Jaron Williams for the uh, for the game winner with about 58 seconds to go. Miami needed a victory badly following their loss to Georgia Tech. And Mike Zimmerman, I want to bring you on, my producer. Um, Mike, how much are the Canes going to be kicking themselves at the end of this season when they when they say to themselves, we lost to Georgia Tech. If we don't lose that game, we might be in first place in this Coastal Division. Well, I mean, you look at the whole Coastal, and, and it's every, it's the same story every year. You you don't know what record is going to get you into that ACC championship game. And I think this year especially, like you mentioned, you know, a kick here, a kick there, a play here, a play there, they could be in first place easily. You can even go back to the North Carolina game. You know, you can you can go to the, to the Virginia Tech game. There are so many different games and plays that you can look back and say, what if? And I think that's just a culmination of what the Miami season has been. It's been a season of, of what-ifs. Yeah, and now they're going to Florida State in a game that's going to mean so much to recruiting in the future. I know right now the Hurricanes and Seminoles aren't necessarily battling head-to-head for too many guys. But really, I mean, you look at the 2021 class, the 2022 class, those kids are always paying attention to what's happening uh, at their favorite programs and the in-state schools. And you know, the fact Florida State is struggling as much as they are, uh, Miami could really seize the moment if they go up to Tallahassee and figure out a way to kick the Seminoles' butts this weekend. Uh, it's going to be a 3.30 kickoff on ABC, and we're going to have to Sean Reed, our, our FSU beat writer, on shortly to talk about that game uh, and preview it. But what impressed you most about the Hurricanes this weekend, Mike? Uh, I, I mean, was there much that impressed you? Because, I mean, they were losing that game 12-10, to 10, and until Manny Diaz made the switch to go to Jaron Williams, it felt like that offense was going nowhere. 
So I'll say this. I, I kind of like to have a high standard when it comes to Miami football because I feel like that's what it should be. You, you shouldn't be settling for an average season, which is what they're having. With that said, they desperately needed this win or else things could have completely unraveled. The entire fan base could have turned on you. You know, some players may have, you know, just finished the season with a terrible attitude. So in terms of needing this win, I, I think that's that's exactly what they did. It wasn't impressive by any means, and I don't think things are completely changed. Um, but it was a win they needed, uh, and they finally made a play when they needed to, that K.J. Osborne touchdown, which you look at uh, a couple of the games this past season where they didn't make plays they needed to. They finally got past that hurdle uh, against uh, Pitt. Yeah, they sure did. And I'm sure uh, we're going to hear from Raul later in the show, our favorite uh, caller, from Hialeah, the, the happy Hurricanes fan that he is. I'm sure he must have been really excited watching that K.J. Osborne uh, touchdown pass. I know there were a lot of people back home in Coral Gables that had to have been happy as well. Uh, you know, Blake James has been under tremendous heat. Manny Diaz has been under tremendous heat. I was standing there watching those guys walking into the locker room after the game. The players obviously expressed their joy on the field. But it was crazy watching the assistant coaches, you know, the defensive guys who were up who were upstairs during the game run down to the field and they're hooting and hollering. I mean, you know, it really meant something to them to sort of get this win. And, you know, you heard some players as they were walking off the field, you know, why do you keep doubting us? Why do you keep doubting us? And uh, it's just it's just kind of funny because there's obviously a lot of pride in this. These guys don't want to be struggling the way that they have. They think they're better than their four and four record. Um, you know, and, and the honest to God truth is they probably should be six and two and in first place in the coastal, but they're not. And now they're going into this game against Florida state, uh, that is really, really important to them. A couple of things that happened Saturday that I want to point out before we get to Tashawn, uh, and, and the biggest, uh, story of the week, I think this week coming up, um, Gregory Rousseau, three sacks in this game. He's leading the ACC in sacks now with eight sacks. And, and the crazy thing is he's only started three games. This is a kid who's been coming off the bench, um, and now he's leading the ACC in sacks. Um, three yesterday, three big ones where he's kind of diving at the feet of Kenny Pickett to stop him from scrambling. Um, another big development, I thought, um, you look at Camden Price, the kicker. He comes in. Yes, he only made a 22-yard field goal, and he made an extra point. But I was watching him in pregame warm-ups, and the kid was knocking him through from 47 and 52 yards out. I asked Manny Diaz after the game, you know, had this game come down to a kick uh, where, let's say, K.J. Osborne doesn't score, where did he sort of feel comfortable, um, you know, letting Camden kick? And he basically said the 25-yard line. That's kind of the edge of where maybe they felt comfortable letting him kick a field goal. You know, Miami got to the 25 earlier in the game, and they didn't kick. They went for it on fourth and three because Manny was trying to get in the end zone. He thought that was a better uh, move at that point in the game. But, you know, if Miami can, can get Camden Price to start making field goals for them, they could win some of these close games against Florida State and Louisville and whatever sort of upcoming uh, because I think the defense is playing well enough now. I mean, five missed tackles this week compared to 29 uh, the week before against Georgia Tech. And the red zone defense has been very, very good. If they can just get that quarterback situation uh, settled, I think I think they're going to be okay. Um, speaking of the quarterback situation, Mike Zimmerman, uh, I want you to play a little bit of audio because the story yesterday as I was walking out of the stadium was Jaron Williams, the guy, right, the guy that Manny Diaz said is his starting quarterback, he skipped practice on Wednesday. I don't know if he left in the middle of it. I don't know if there was a fight between him and the coaching staff. I don't know what happened because nobody was talking yesterday specifics. But 
it's kind of an interesting de- development here because Jaron Williams says he's healthy. He says his arm feels better, his right throwing shoulder that he kind of nicked up against Virginia Tech. And he ends up coming off the bench for Nikosi Perry because of what happened in the middle of the week. I want to hear from Manny Diaz and Jaron Williams. I want you to be able to hear this audio from what they said yesterday. As I said all along, Jaron was going to be our starter. But there is going to be a – there's still a standard in terms of preparation that has to be met. And, and that's where, you know, we, we've we sort of hitched our, our wagon to the way we compete and the way we prepare on Green Tree practice field. You know, and, and just the week that we had without getting into specifics, because he just had a much better week. And, we, and that has to count for something. Um, and that's why we went to, uh, went for the decision to go with Nikosi. Um, and as for what this means tomorrow and the next day, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll deal with that tomorrow. Like I said, you know, I'm, I'm committed to this team and this program. And, you know, uh, what happened Wednesday, we're going to try to keep that in-house. So you just heard what those guys had to say regarding what happened in the middle of the week. Um, my thoughts on this story moving forward. I think Jaron Williams has to be the starter. But at some point today, Sunday, uh, when the team gets back together uh, to kind of go through their, their, you know, whatever it is that they do on Sundays, you know, reviewing film, getting treatment, et cetera, I really hope Jaron Williams and Manny Diaz had a heart-to-heart conversation and, and put whatever happened uh, earlier this week behind them because this team cannot afford to really have a distraction. I thought Nikosi Perry played poorly enough that it sort of reminded you why it was that he was a guy that couldn't keep the job last year. Yes, he's had his moments. He's got the stronger arm. In the long run, he might be the better fit with a bad offensive line. But if Miami's offensive line is improving, which is what they've shown us the last two weeks, um, then Jaron Williams is the more accurate passer and the guy who's going to move the ball more consistently. You go back and you look at the stats, Miami's offense played better with Jaron Williams under center. Um your thoughts on this, Mike Zimmerman, as far as the quarterback situation, who you would go with? So I, I've been I've been back and forth on this all season. I was initially happy with Jaron being named the starting quarterback just because he was, you know, from the beginning of the season because he was the most accurate guy. Uh, he was going to be able to place the ball where it needed to be. He didn't necessarily have the arm strength, but he was going to be accurate with the ball. Then I, I think it sort of swayed back to Nikosi, in my opinion, when he started, you know, putting up these huge numbers and throwing the ball down the field, and, and it was that it was that sexy look you have with a quarterback that can just sling it. But then you see the opposite side of Nikosi when he's not hitting these passes and he's just throwing, you know, ten feet over receivers' heads and you know, just missing open receivers. Then you see when Jaron comes back in how the offense worked and they were able to just you know, dink and dunk a little here and there, and then boom, hit the big play to K.J. Osborne, which that was a perfectly thrown ball by Jaron Williams. I think that ball was exactly where it needed to be. It hit him in in stride, and he was able to take it and and run with it. So I think I'm back on the Jaron bandwagon. But to be honest, I'm not sold with either one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is a situation where – Miami can have one of their top recruits, the quarterback recruit that they have in this next class, come in here uh, next year, and I would not be surprised if he competes for that starting job, uh, Tyler Van Dyke. I watched this kid in person um, at Miami's uh, you know, summer event uh, where all these guys came back, uh, Paradise Camp, and he was really impressive, his arm strength, et cetera. But you're right. I think the one thing we've learned is that both of these guys have their faults. None of these guys is really the guy. Um, although, you know, you have to give Jaron Williams credit. He led the scoring drive 
And I think the one thing you can certainly say, that a big difference between him and Nikosi, um, Jared knows how to read defenses. He knows how to see when the blitz is coming and throw the ball into situations that's going to put his rec- receiver to succeed. Nikosi's always struggled with that. Nikosi talked about it recently, this just this past week, about how he didn't even study film when he was in high school. This is just a kid playing on raw talent, arm strength, athleticism, and ability. And really, it's kind of like a wild horse. It's like Dan Enos has been trying to tame this wild horse. Jaron Williams was was much more of a polished quarterback coming out of high school, a guy who, um, you know, had to kind of just get put into a system and learn how to play in the system. But he knew how to read defenses where he played in Georgia, and uh, and that's why maybe he's just a better fit for this offense when the offensive line plays better. And that's what you've seen the last two weeks. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes forward. Okay, so as promised, uh, we're going to bring on to Sean Reed, our Florida State Seminoles beat writer, to start talking about Saturday's game over at Doe Campbell Stadium, 3.30 afternoon kickoff. And to Sean, you and I are both happy that this is uh, an afternoon game and not another uh, not another night game. Yeah, man, especially since I expect this to be a close one. Uh, I not, not, wasn't looking forward to getting out of there at like 2 a.m. or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, we'll still end up getting out of there like at 11 midnight, close to there. But at 2 a.m., like, when you got to do that, it's not it's never fun. Yeah, hey, I'll take it. I'll take a midnight. <laughs> So, of course, we're covering two teams that um, are far away from, from their glory days. I mean, this 4-4 four and four season for Miami and a 4-4 four and four season for Florida State has been tumultuous um, in their own ways for each team. Uh, but Miami is coming off a thrilling come-from-behind win over a pretty good Pittsburgh team, and, and Florida State's coming off a thumping of Syracuse 35-17 to yesterday. Before we get into like X's and O's and breaking the team down and all that kind of stuff, you had some really good articles um, last week and, and overall in the Athletic. Uh, I know um, Andy Staples wrote about the whole thing with Willie Taggart and, and why Florida State wouldn't fire him. But I want to kind of start there, the big picture with Florida State, because our listeners, the Hurricanes fans, think they know what's going on at Florida State. You've been there. You know what's going on. Um, in, in regards to Andy's story and what you know about the situation with Willie, um how would you best describe the situation at Florida State right now? I would say it's a lot more calm than people probably think it is, just as far as the, ter- the team internally, um, particularly Willie Taggart. He's not somebody that's gotten very rattled by this whole situation. Um, you know, whether they win or lose, he's pretty much the same after every game and then in the press conference the following week. Uh, the players, they haven't become divisive. They haven't turned on one another. Uh, they support Willie, uh, I think, after the game. After the game yesterday, uh, a fan shot at something that Willie and a couple of players stood up for him. So it's it's not like they've turned on the coach or anything like that. And so I know there's a lot, you know, sort of buzzing around the program and a lot of talks, you know, rumors about them looking at other coaches or buyouts and things of that nature. But just for the program itself, it's, it's a lot more calm than people think I was. Uh, what did you think of Andy's story? Because essentially what he said is, uh, you know, that Florida State needs to win, you know, to help the sort of economic situation there. Um, I know, obviously, it's, what, a $17 million buyout if they were going to get rid of him after this season. Can you sort of shed some light on, on, on all of that? Because I think people read the headlines, but they don't really dive into the stories. Right. And I think with Willie, um, you know, the third year will kind of be the crossing point. Uh, because, as you said, you know, they, they moved on this year. That, that $17 million buyout figure is probably prohibitive from them doing that. You know, but I think heading into the next season, you know, this season they've already lost around seven or eight million dollars in ticket sales revenue you know coming off of, of last season just from season ticket sales and so you know let's say they finish out with a with a 500 record down the stretch here and you know that's probably not gonna inspire a bunch of fans to flock back to Doe Campbell you know heading into next season and so 
you know, they, they don't have the room to have that similar sort of drop, you know, seven to eight million dollars. But, you know, eventually, you know, year over year, if you're not bringing in almost half the ticket sales revenue you normally do, that starts to take a hit. And, you know, compared to that, that buyout figure, eventually the two balance out. And I think that next year um, will kind of be that point, because at that point is buyout, you know, it'd be more more so along the lines of 11 or 12 million dollars. Um, but then if they're losing, you know, 15 million dollars in ticket sales at that point, you know, they might just say, hey, we'll cut our losses and go our separate ways if things aren't working out at that point. But, you know, I do think that, you know, if they get off to a strong finish in the season here and, you know, things don't fall apart at the start of next season, I think he'll be fine as far as his job security. But that financial aspect is something that the school is considering and then something that matters big picture. Recruiting wise, they're still doing pretty well. I mean, I know they got a better uh, class right now put together for 2020 than, than Miami does. At least it's, it's ranked higher, I think, by two, 247 Sports. Um, they got, you know, uh, I think it's 13th right now, 20 commitments, including 10 four-star recruits. Do you think Willie's going to hang on to these uh, players? Because obviously you wrote a huge article just sort of analyzing the last few recruiting classes and the, and the amount of attrition Florida State's had and, and, you know, especially the way it's affected their depth. And, you know, people think, oh, they're a much more talented team than they really are. But as far as the future's concerned, um, what's sort of the feeling with some of those recruits? Because I know you talk to them often. Most of them, I feel like they're pretty firm. There's one, uh, one of the three-star offensive tackles, uh, Alex Akovich. He took recently took a, a visit to Maryland, but uh, in talking to him, he's still very firm in his commitment to Florida State. He's just looking around a little bit. He's from Pennsylvania, so it's more of a, a geographical thing there with him. Um, but for the rest of the class, I mean, they, they just recently had their first decommitment, Jalen Harrell. He was a, a four-star cornerback. Um, besides that, I mean, they've been pretty loyal as a bunch. They haven't really been looking around too much. There hasn't been a bunch of of talk about displeasure with the way things are going to Florida State. Obviously, you know, they want things to improve. You know, they want them to win games. But I don't think they're really in danger of having some large, you know, segment of their recruiting class leaving, you know. Um, I think what it, what it can pre- prevent them from doing is, you know, maybe adding some more of those high-level four-stars or five-star guys. You know, right now they they do have, you know, DeMore Tate's a top 50 player, but he's not a five-star and so maybe some of that very the elite of the elite talent they won't get, you know, considering their record. But I don't think it's the situation where their current class is going to fall apart by any means. And I encourage, um, you know, our, our listeners to definitely check out your article uh, from this past week. Recruiting rankings only get you so far. Florida State doesn't have as much talent as it appears to possess. You know, Miami doesn't. Miami's got one five star on their roster, uh, Lorenzo Lingard, who's not playing a ton. Um, they've obviously got more four stars, but uh, when you sat there and broke down uh, Florida State's roster, what what kind of impressed you the most or shocked you the most um, when you wrote that story? I think the thing that shocked me the most was just, you know, the sheer number of guys who were blue chip guys who had left the program. You know, 11 of the guys, you know, out, you know, keeping out Brian Burns because he you know, declared early for the draft. That's certainly not a bad thing. Um, but there were 11 guys that either transferred or got kicked off the team or were academically ineligible. And then there were only about, you know, there, there weren't even 20 guys who, who had become consistent starters out of, the, out of those classes. And that's, you know, considering, you know, you have 50 guys who are supposed to be the best players, you know, in the country or among the best players in the country coming out of high school. I think you would hope for at least half of them, you know, to become starters at some point. Right. And so I think that that hadn't even happened, you know, it was alarming to me because I, I think if you just look at the raw rankings. You know, like, hey, Jimbo had two top five classes in his last two years. Like, you know, Willie had a ton of talent. Like, why, do, why do they suck? Why aren't they good? And it's like, well, I mean, if you really look at the players, they haven't been that good. And so, you know, eventually, 
you know, is going to catch up to you. I mean, he's had some pretty good hits in the 2018 class and 2019 classes, but you know, you can't really rely on freshmen and sophomores to to win you a whole bunch of games. Yeah, I really feel like Miami and Florida State, you know, that Spider-Man meme uh, where, where you got the two Spider-Mans pointing at each other, that, that really is completely symbolic of, of these two t- programs right now because the same issues that, that's hurting Florida State is what's hurting Miami, and it starts with the offensive line. And um, when you look at this matchup on Saturday, um, who do you think's in a better position to win right off the bat before we start breaking down, you know, individual matchups and position groups and, and, and so forth? Um your gut, what does it tell you right now? Who do you think's in a better position to win this game? I would lean towards Florida State. I'm not a big, you know, believer that uh, home field advantage is the end all be all, but I think it definitely, you know, plays a factor, particularly if we're talking about a close game. Um, but I think the primary on field reason would have to be I just feel like Florida State's offense is, is much better than Miami's offense. You know, I feel like you know, Miami has the edge on defense, um, but Florida State's defense in these last couple of weeks has started to turn a corner. Um, and, you know, I think with, with Miami having a little bit of, more of a sluggish offense, um, a pretty, you know, they've been struggling a little bit on the offensive line so far this season, a little bit back and forth with the quarterback position. You know, I think Florida State's in a pretty good position where, you know, it's not guaranteed that they win, but it's, it's almost a game that I feel like they should win. Um, mm-hmm. Whether that happens or not, we'll see. But I, but I feel like, you know, considering they're at home, considering how their offense and their defense have both kind of started to turn a corner a little bit here lately, uh, you know, I think it's a game they should win. Yeah, Miami's offense really has been bad. I mean, they, I think they had 208 total yards of offense in this last game against Pittsburgh, which is the fewest since their pinstripe bowl loss to Wisconsin. And, um, you know, they, they just really struggled in the red zone, really struggled on third down. And, you know, obviously, you know, we have the whole quarterback controversy now with Jaron Williams and Nikosi Perry and, and who ultimately, you know, Manny Diaz is going to go with here going into this game. It, you know, it remains a mystery right now. Uh, but, um, as far as Florida State is concerned, they've kind of, you know, had a little bit of a of an issue with quarterback too, right? I mean, Hornerbrooks uh, played, Blackman's played, but who's going to be their starter in this game? Um, and and you know, as far as that whole position has, you know, how it's gone for Florida State this year, what's your opinion of it? As far as who the, who the starter will be, I, I honestly cannot say with assurance. You know, <laughs> I mean, the way it's gone. <laughs> uh, the first three games of the season, Black and the start all three games. Then in the fourth game, they decide to go to a split quarterback system. Then Blackman gets hurt, so Hornerbrook steps up and starts. Uh, but then once Blackman comes back, he becomes a starter again. And now, all of a sudden, Alex Hornerbrook is a starter again. So it's just been so all over the place and so back and forth. I honestly have no clue what they're going to do against Miami. I mean, I guess maybe Hornerbrook has the advantage against Miami, given his history <laughs> coming over from mm-hmm. Wisconsin. But, you know, we'll see. I, I think, as far as my opinion... Um, I don't really. I'm not really a fan of any two quarterback system or any sort of back and forth. I, I just think it's weird. I think it kind of throws guys off. You know, maybe smaller details that we don't notice on TV. You know, one guy's left handed, one guy's right handed. You know, guys have different different ways that they go through progressions and how they make decisions and you know just how they can throw the football. And I just think it you know it just unsettles the offense a little bit. And you know I think that's shown in the results. You know they really haven't gotten consistent productive play from the quarterback position. You know, since I would say they lost to Virginia, um, you know, even this past game, even though they won, Alex Hornbrook, he really wasn't that great. It was mostly the greatness of Cam Akers, which is why they won. And I think, you know, you can get away with that against maybe the Syracuses of the world. But when you're playing a, a defense that I believe to be elite, you know, I, I know maybe, you know, Manny Diaz isn't pleased uh, at certain times, but I, I feel like Miami has a pretty elite defense along with teams like Florida. 
you know, I think if you're one dimensional and the quarterback play is shaky, I, I think you can get into some trouble. Well, what's interesting is that, you know, Florida State's weaknesses and their strengths kind of play into Miami because really what Miami's been good at all season has been stopping the run. Although, you know, this last game, uh, Pittsburgh ran for, I think, 176 yards on them. And, and I know Georgia Tech had some success running the football last game, but they only missed five tackles defensively, the Hurricanes did. Uh, in this past game, and they had 29 against Georgia Tech. So they cleaned it up, but they got questions. I mean, will Michael Pinckney come back and play in this game? Um, as far as the linebacker position is concerned, um, we have to see where his health is. He didn't travel to Pittsburgh. Um, and, and Cam Akers uh, for Florida State has been running the ball phenomenally. Uh, I mean, that's really what their strength is. And then Miami's weakness on the defense, you'd have to say, is the secondary because – you know, there's been times that they've given up a lot of uh, big plays uh, in the passing game to opposing teams. I mean, North Carolina really exposed them um, in terms of covering slot receivers. Virginia Tech killed them with their tight ends. Uh, and Georgia Tech, uh, you know, I know one of the scores came on a 41-yard fake punt where DJ Ivy fell asleep, but they also did hit a 35-yard pass down the field where there was no safety help. And, uh, you know, Florida State's got talent at that receiver position. Um, so, yes, I know Horner Brooks having issues and James Blackman, um, you know, they've, they've been switching back and forth. But I don't know. I got a feeling Florida State could get it together and be highly, motiv- highly motivated for this game. And certainly Cam Akers is not an easy guy to break down. I know a lot of the Miami players after yesterday's game were already talking about this game. What, what were some of the Florida, Florida State players saying after the win on Saturday over Syracuse, were they already looking at Miami? Were they already talking about it? Um, you know, what, what's kind of their excitement level for this game? I think there were two camps. You know, there were the guys that, you know, took the stance of, oh, it's, you know, it's just another game. You know, it's just the next one on the schedule. You know, the kind of cliche, typical right. things that some guys say. But there were some. Uh, Kalen Laybourne, backup running back, most notably, he was basically saying, you know, we're going to beat Miami. Um, so some guys were more bold and, and took that sort of stance. Uh, most guys, you know, regardless of whether they, you know, admitted they were hyped for it or not, they they uh, had a reluctance to look back to last year and, and how they kind of blew that game on the road against Miami. Um, and that's just been the, the vibe with the team this entire season. They, they don't want to think about last season. They want to put it in the past. Obviously, they had to learn from it, but they have no interest in reliving anything that happened last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so trying to, you know, uh, I guess write their new story this season and, and come out with a win against Miami. They, they seem pretty confident, of course. Uh, you know, I, I think that's something that also with this group that, you know, whether they're coming off a win or, or a loss, they, they sort of retain the level of confidence, um, which is important. You know, you can't let any outcome break you as a team. That's when things fall apart. And so I, I think they'll definitely be emotional. I mean, I'm sure we'll see some tempers flare against Miami, but I think they're, you know, staying level-headed in a sense so that they don't get too overwhelmed by the moment and, and start to lose track of things that have you know led to their success recently in games against Syracuse. Miami's offensive line. I mean, I know it's been a problem all season, and, and they've you know given up 33 sacks on the year, which is you know among bottom five in all of uh, you know among the 130 FBS teams. But I will say this for them: um, they only gave up two sacks against Pittsburgh. They only gave up two sacks against Georgia Tech, and it feels like some of those guys are starting to get a little bit better. Um, in terms of handling the pressure. I was looking at Florida State's numbers before the Syracuse game. I think they have 17 sacks, and obviously uh, Wilson up front is is a monster. But what's been sort of their issues on defense? And, you know, how do you sort of see that matchup with Miami playing out? I know obviously the offense has struggled, but I mean, is there a way for Miami to, to, to beat Florida State uh, on offense? 
I think with the defense, uh, their biggest issue this season uh, has, been a mul- has been multiple things, not just one thing, but it's something that's been lacking as of late in the last three games was their pass rush. They only had uh, two sacks combined in the last three games. And then, you know, yesterday they had seven sacks against Syracuse. Um, so they kind of had a breakout there, and I think they had 24 sacks on the season now. Um, but something that's consistently been bad uh, has been the secondary. It's probably been the worst aspect of the defense. They've been getting completely picked apart, giving up huge plays, pretty much no matter who it is that they're going against. It could be a backup quarterback. Sam Hartman from Wake Forest put up some numbers. Uh, Louisiana Monroe even put up some numbers through the air against them, and they had some big chunk plays. So this this last game against Syracuse was really the first game. They only gave up 151 passing yards. This is the first game this season where they played well in the secondary. Um, They've had moments where they'll, they'll have a pretty good pass rush. They've had moments where they'll do pretty good against the run, but the secondary has been the aspect that's been consistently bad. And I think, you know, particularly with with Miami having some questions at quarterback and along the offensive line, you know, if they can continue that strong play, you know, as far as the secondary goes and, you know, take advantage of those freshman offensive tackles that that Miami has, you know, I think, you know, that's that's pretty much the formula to success. But if Miami is able to exploit them over the top, we saw a bit of that late in the game last year. They were able to have some success later on in the game after struggling early. Um, If they can, you know, keep things going on the ground and kind of hit them from two different areas. Then I can think they can find some success because defense has been pretty leaky, pretty leaky throughout the entire season. They're just now sort of turning the corner against a pretty bad offense in Syracuse. So you know, you know, you're kind of thinking to yourself, you know, hey, is the Florida State defense really getting better, or are they just playing a terrible offense in Syracuse? And I know Miami aren't isn't world beaters on offense right now, but you know, I, I think they're a little bit better than Syracuse. So I guess we will just kind of see how that dynamic works out on Saturday. Yeah, Miami's going to get Jeff Thomas back. Uh, he served a two-game suspension, and, and I guess we'll see what happens with DJ Dallas, who's their leading rusher. I thought Cam Harris ran really well for Miami in this last game, even though he only had 60 yards, I think, on 16 carries. But he didn't have any tackles for loss, which is kind of important for this offense. You know, they, they can't sort of succeed if they're going backwards in any way, shape, or form with, with how precious yardage is, is for them. Um you know, you mentioned Florida State's run defense. I'm looking at some of the numbers here. They gave up 192 yards, I guess, to Syracuse, uh, 116 to Wake Forest, and then the 320 to to Clemson. But before that, I mean, it was pretty good against North Carolina State. So it looks, I mean, it, it kind of it, maybe it just depends on the matchups. I mean, is there one particular matchup that hurts them? Is it is it spread offenses, or, or you know, is it just elite running backs, quarterbacks who can run? What do you think is is maybe their weakness there? Uh, they have struggled a little bit against quarterbacks who can run, even a little bit. You know, I, I think Trevor Lawrence had a pretty good amount of success when Clemson played, and he's not the most mobile quarterback. He has been running more this year, but it's not like he's you know Michael Vick or anything like that. Um, so I think teams that kind of have that zone read-based running game and have a threat both from coming from the quarterback and the running back have given them issues. It's, it's a little strange because defensive line, just from a talent standpoint, considering Marvin Wilson, Corey Durden, Robert Cooper, that, that may be their most talented defensive position group. And the fact that they've struggled so much against the run up front is just kind of mind-boggling. But they've sort of struggled a little bit adjusting to the multiple front. I would say it's more so internal to struggle this season. They Last season, they were primarily a 4-3 team. This season, they've gone to more 3-4 looks in an effort to try to create more of a pass rush. And guys have struggled with that. You know, that's kind of a hard switch to go from year to year to go from a 4-3 to a 3-4. You know, guys weren't recruited to fit that personnel. They aren't used to playing that personnel, and they had to completely learn an entire new front, you know, heading into the season. Um, I think as of late, they've kind of gone back to more of their four-man front stuff, so they're a little bit more comfortable. Um, You know, I I know they gave up the big yardage total against Syracuse, but they only averaged, you know, about 3.8 yards per carry, so it wasn't like they were – 
and they, they had to rush a lot of times to get those yardage. You know, so I think they'll take that. Um, they were nearly rushed over 50 times last game. Um, and so I think if Miami wants to go about things that way and try to ground and pound, they can, but I, I'm not sure if they'll have, you know, a, a huge level of success play by play. You know, they may have the, the, the total yardage at the end of the game, but you know, if they're only averaging 3.5 yards a carry or something of that nature, then it's not really that you know effective in the long run. So obviously Miami's had, uh, you know, kicking's been a nightmare for them all season long. And then finally yesterday they get this Camden Price kid, one of the walk-ons, who connects on, I think it was a 29 or 30-yard field goal. Well, actually, it was 22-yard field goal. Um, yeah, but Florida State's kicking situation hasn't been great either. Uh, Ricky Aguayo, uh, what, four of nine on field goals this year? Um, how much of that has become a problem for them? Well, it's a huge problem. I, know, I think that field goal that he missed against Wake Forest, I mean, it was 50 yards in the rain. So I don't know how much you can criticize him for that one, but he's been pretty – inconsistent throughout the season i mean they they haven't been able to count on him in, in this past game he didn't play at all he was out with with an illness and so they had a, a walk-on kicker step up in his place um he didn't actually have to attempt an actual field goal he just attempted pat so i don't really know if we can judge how he'll, he would be in that kind of a situation um but it's definitely shaky at best at the kicking position right now um they've pretty much shown a tendency not to trust their kicker throughout the year. You know, if they're in a manageable fourth down situation, they'll probably go for it rather than uh, settle for the field goal if there's a good amount of length behind it. And so, you know, as I keep saying, you know, this is a close one, you know, between Miami's questions at the position and Florida State's questions at the position, we could, you know, be winding up for an interesting finish here. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. Four and four matching records, sort of the same issues at quarterback. You're switching between two different guys. The defense is, you know, I think Florida State still has obviously some playmakers in their secondary and, and, and obviously in Wilson up front, but they have their issues at times. And the kicking situation, it's really, it's crazy. The offensive line, it's crazy how much these teams sort of mirror each other right now. Um, but I, I feel like Cam Akers is going to be the best player on the field for, for either team. And I think that's probably why Florida State's going to end up winning this game because I don't know that Miami's faced a running back like him yet, a, a real elite, you know, former five-star guy who was probably going to be in the NFL and uh, is uber talented and having a great year. Um, I, I think I'm, you know, I'm not, not that we have to do predictions, but uh, we might as well since we're already here. I'm going to pick Florida State to win by a touchdown. Um, where do you stand as far as predictions, and, and, and do you think Acres? Do you agree with me that Acres is probably the difference in this game? I'll, I'll go with Florida State by three, um, but I, I do agree that, that Cam Akers will be the best player on the field most likely. But I think that sort of issue that that Florida State has run into, and it's something that Willie Taggart has been pretty vocal about, is sometimes they get in their own way as far as getting Cam Akers the football. Um, you know, he's by far their their best player on offense, and there's you know, I believe four games this season where he hasn't even cracked 20 carries. And that's just sort of mind-boggling, you know, especially considering how successful he's been and how good he's been this entire season. You need to give him the ball as much as you possibly can. I think the most egregious, you know, moment of that was against Clemson. He only carried the ball nine times. Um, You know, and after that against Wake Forest, he got it 30 times. This time he got it 20 times. And now they're even expanding it to, they call it the new wild cam package where he's lined up at quarterback. You know, he played high school quarterback, and so he's kind of used to that. But they put him back there with another former five-star and Kalen Laybourne and just kind of let them work their magic. And so they're trying to get him the ball as much as they possibly can now. I think they recognize that he is their best player, and their offense kind of comes and goes as he goes, especially considering how inconsistent quarterback has been for them. 
And so I, I think if they stick to that, you know, get him the ball and consistently feed him the ball. And of course, you know, if he doesn't get hurt or anything of that nature, you know, I think that'll ultimately be the difference in the game, as you said. All right. So sellout crowd Saturday. I mean, it's it's got to be right. Florida State, Miami. How is it not a sellout crowd? Um, I don't think it's so yet. They've been attendance has been rough this well, last three years. Um, they just had their this past the homecoming game was their worst attendance since the '70s for a homecoming game. Um, so I, I, I think you know would it be in Miami? I'm sure people will be out there in, in droves, but I, I'm not sure if I can say with confidence it'll be a sellout. I don't know. Does FSU get into a bowl game this year? Yes, I think they finish six and six, squeak squeak in there. I think Miami's going to do the same thing. And then it's going to be about who can recruit better here after this season, who holds on to their commitments and, and uh, you know, who can who can recruit the better uh, players here in the years to come. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out, man. But, uh, Tashawn, I appreciate you coming on, man, and, and uh, doing this pod with me. And uh, any parting thoughts uh, as you uh, as you leave here? Um, I think it's kind of interesting. You know, as you said earlier, this this rivalry, you know, it doesn't have the stakes that it used to have back in the day. But this game is so important to both of these programs. You know, I think either one is could potentially derail their season. You know, if they they fall into a hole where they lose this game and they go on to lose the next one, they could wind up missing the bowl game. You know, but a, a win here against a heated rival in front of a national audience. Not only for this current season, but as you just said, for recruiting. I think if there are some recruits that Miami and Florida State are fighting for, you know, maybe that's not the end all be all, but you may remember that program that looked better in that game when you come when it comes time to make that decision. So I think this game, you know, maybe doesn't have the fanfare it used to, but it's incredibly important for both of their seasons. Yeah, I think so. I think as uh, as long as neither team gets embarrassed, you know, they can always turn around and say, well, it was a, it was a typical Miami Florida State game, right? It was close. But I think if uh, somebody gets embarrassed this game where Florida State blows out Miami or vice versa, uh, then I think that's probably where it's it's really costly in the recruiting front because it may not matter much to the to the 2020 kids. Like you said, I think most of Miami's guys are pretty settled in. Um, but I think the 2021 kids, the 2022 kids, it certainly makes an impression. And so uh, this is why it's it's really an important game on Saturday. For sure. Agreed. All right, Tashawn. Appreciate it, man. All right, man. Thanks for having me on. All right. My thanks to my producer, Mike Zimmerman, for producing this show once again. And thanks to Tashawn Reed, our Florida State beat writer. Uh, and, you know, on Wednesday we're going to have uh, former Hurricanes offensive lineman John Feliciano, a starter for the Buffalo Bills, the starting right guard for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, he's agreed to come on the show Wednesday to give us some of his perspective on the Canes and his experiences uh, from playing FSU. He's, Mongo is a super interesting guy. I can't wait to get to that interview. Uh, but that's what's going to do it for today's show. Um, again, thank you for listening. And before we let you go, make sure to check out what uh, Raul had to say after Saturday's game. Marty! Raul from Hialeah, we did it, baby. We did it. We bounced back. We beat the Pit Panthers. Raul, I told you. I told you the big animals that scared the hurricanes and they played tough, Manny. I told you that. Oye, that game was so tough to watch, Manny. It was, it was kind of like watching my sister, who weighs 300 pounds and I started Herbalife. life thinking que ya está flaca, putting on a pair of yoga pants. That's tough, money. Oye, I was so scared the whole game, por poco me da un patatum. I had a, a felt like I kissed her a lemon, you know? Like, like my bojo was a poker up type. Pero que rico, money, to win that game. Oye, everybody abandoned cheap. Everybody got off the Titanic. Pero no, Raulito, stay on the cheap, money. Raulito, stay on the cheap with the band, okay? And we were playing music until we, we, we won that game, okay? 
and Johnny Williams came in like a superhero money at the end to win the game. Like a superman, not superman, superman. He's the high elite superhero whose only weakness is Kim Bombo. Okay, I, I was so excited to see a kicker make an extra point, Mari. I don't know what to do. And Cameron Price said that when he got out there, all I can think to myself, oh, Cameron, the price better be right, friend. The price better be right. Oh, yeah, Manny, I had such a good night last night after that game that I put on Frankie Ruiz for the wife, and I kept seeing to her, desnuda te mujer, it's time to get it on. FSU next week, baby. We're going to take them down. We're going to beat those stinking Seminoles and take them all to the Cachahoochee River.